I already think this is extremely dangerous. This is the part where we both talk about things we don't know very well. And so people, people tell us that we have no idea what we're talking about. But And if I was good at podcasting, I would have looked up statistics. But I didn't. Hi, Nando. Hey. We're back. Syntec returns for quite some hiatus. Yeah, it's been a eventful couple of months. Matt has been to 210 countries in the interim. So it's been an exciting <laughs> he hasn't time learned, for the Syntax team. He hasn't learned any <laughs> of the languages. 210 more countries, zero more languages. So yeah. we have been up to our usual level of productivity. That's true. Uh, I recently visited Fernando in Texas. It's pretty exciting. Quite a trip. And uh, now we're back in our respective cities. So we can only podcast remotely. And we're back in a stage where we can do that. Yeah. And we are trying a slightly different format from stuff we've done before. We had a topic inspired by a Plan of Money two-part episode on recycling. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, Ethan, but that's kind of where – that was our starting point for the idea that became this episode. Yeah, it was a really good episode. Um, I'll look up what episode number it was and put it in the show notes. But you know, it, to summarize two full Plan of Money episodes, basically they talked about where – recycling started in the u.s um and where we are now why recycling is getting more expensive and why it might not be happening in the future and most importantly how robots are involved in recycling or should be in the future and to be clear i don't think planet money mentioned robots at any point in the two episodes maybe they did it was implied if they did, it was very insignificant so <laughs> I'd like i'd like we to realize say strongly implied. <laughs> very strongly implied we see what you were saying npr <laughs> um really i could have learned some fun facts about recycling or, you know, the history of recycling in America. But all I learned was that there's a great need for robots to perform the task of, well, I won't spoil exactly what they do, but it just woke me up to the need for more robots. Sort of. Yeah. And so that's, uh, you know, I think we should give this as a disclaimer before the episode. We're going to talk about a lot of tasks that would benefit from having robots do the work for us. Um, and of course, implicit in all of those conversations is that we would put actual humans out of jobs. So let's be clear that this is sort of an idealized state in the world where there are infinite actual human jobs for these people to go to. What should we be doing with robots? Because it would be better. So with that out of the way, let's uh, let's kick it off. What's the first thing that we should have robots do, Fernando? Uh, well, sort recycling unsurprisingly <laughs> and part of how i try to approach this question of what should robots do is like what are problems and inefficiencies we have in the world and the recycling episode talked about how the value the profit a recycling company can make um falls drastically when recycling is poorly sorted or washed and the reason is you know paper is obviously recycled differently from plastic um and you can't do it if it's the plastic container sold with peanut butter is the example they kept using. So when China was a pri one of the primary recyclers of U.S. post-consumer material, it was because labor was very cheap in China. And so it was profitable for a company to pay some people to go through the tedious process of washing um, and sorting the recycling. And then as that economy grew, and the value of labor rose in the Chinese economy, it no longer was profitable for a Chinese recycling company to ship uh, plastic bottles, etc., from U the U.S. and recycle it. 
and maybe other countries will take that mantle. That's kind of something that was mentioned in the podcast. But the bottom line is, it is a lot of recycling right now, even though we put it in the recycling bin, ends up getting thrown away because it doesn't make economical sense for um, those for companies to pay someone to sort them and clean them. And why I think this would be a good job for robots is because it is a um, an unskilled job. Like it's not something that requires you, you need to know what's happening. You need to be able to sort different types of recycling, different types of plastic. But that's something that machines are very capable of doing. And it's not something that requires, you know, job experience or any sort of like soft skills to do. Um, it's so robots can be trained or I guess I should use that word lightly. Um, robots are capable of performing the task from a sorting point of view. I think there might be some challenges right now on the dexterity needed to manipulate and wash out the inside of like, I don't know, an old black can of black beans or something. Um, so those are kind of the, the general job qualifications for this robot. Any thoughts on the topic, Ethan? Yeah, well, so um, as I think I've mentioned to you before, I certainly grew up with this uh, vision of recycling as being a process in which all materials were melted down into their requisite components and a giant molten pile of tin was collected and a molten pile of plastic and, you know, all these these fully melted down substances that then we could reform into consumer products. And the more I have learned about recycling, the more I've realized this idea is just insanely wrong. Um, I <laughs> I was completely mistaken on this. And in fact, it's more like we just reuse the products we had, but go through a very intensive labor, labor process in figuring out how to reuse them. And so that means, like you said, washing and sorting and eventually shipping back to a company that can use these containers. And I say containers because a lot of it is containers, although, you know, there's a few exceptions like cardboard. Um, but as a, as a wise friend of mine once said, it really, in the classic, uh, the classic recycling propaganda, there's this phrase, reduce, reuse, recycle, but it really should be like reduce, reuse, and then like recycle, maybe if you really have to, because recycling is a terrible process. Um, and so the point of your idea, it sounds like, is that perhaps we can make recycling a lot more economically viable because ultimately right now. The economics really don't make sense for a lot of things. Like you said, the labor force in China is getting more skilled, expecting higher pay. And this is a job that no longer is worth it for them. They have better paying opportunities rather than just like sorting recycling. So I'm on board. I think uh, I think you've sold me. I think recycling is a very interesting topic. And uh, whatever we can do to improve the current situation, I am on board with. Yes, uh, since, you know, we are just so interested in recycling, um, I'll just throw out a couple points for clarification. Like, so most... You know, plastic metal containers do get reused, as Ethan said. There are some products that like do get maybe not melted down per se, but kind of so like paper products that are reused. It's not like you just reuse sheet paper. Like they do get kind of. I don't know exactly what the process is, but <laughs> it's not like if you cut a piece of paper into a triangle, it's destined to be a triangle for the rest of its post. Yeah, <laughs> so, some so, office in a random country just opens their their reams of paper and they find drawings all over all, all of them. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, um, what is this? The sheet that says notes for syntax podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would really, I think, kill that office productivity. Um, so. And this just addresses only one small part of the recycling puzzle. Like, there's still the energy that goes into uh, transporting and 
moving all these goods. And something that I'm going to hit on on my other robot jobs is that I think having solar-powered robots is kind of essential here because recycling is an energy-intensive process because you have to transport it, etc. Um, and I don't think it makes sense to create an additional... I mean, it might make sense, but as much as possible, we should try to avoid creating an additional resource drain in something that's trying to be more environmentally friendly. Yeah, that's a good point. That's all I've got on recycling. Well, all I've got for now, I could, you know, in the talk about it for ages, but yeah, yeah. Let's go. Uh, let's go to your first topic for robots, Ethan. Sure. Um, this topic is a bit different because the the current roadblock isn't that we don't have capable robots or we don't have essentially capable technology, but more that there's other things that stand our way from implementing the solution. So long distance rapid transport. Um, a topic about which I am very passionate. Uh, you know, we, we all love Elon Musk's Twitter account, but we also are interested in his his actual business ventures like um, what the boring company, whatever the uh, rocket company is, SpaceX, uh, Tesla. And then the last one, I believe, is however he finances the Hyperloop. So the Hyperloop, which still, as far as I know, doesn't really look likely to happen is some kind of uh, super fast train that would go from two distant American cities back and forth. And the the benefit here essentially is that you wouldn't get on a plane. So every time I go through an airport, I think about how it really takes me about twice as long, maybe three times as long to get to my destination as the listed flight time says. Um, recently, I left Austin at uh 9 a.m austin time i got to the airport at 9 a.m austin time and i eventually returned to my apartment at 5 p.m cincinnati time after all additional uh delays between time spent in airport time spent through security delays because of like plane maintenance etc cetera, etc cetera. also that's 4 p.m austin time for you know all our international listeners because we obviously have more than 10 listeners who all well, know I where we live oh. i forgot to convert to utc um but, uh, yeah, so, you know, the promise of long-distance rapid transport is that we could ferry more people uh, more efficiently, like from an energy perspective even, less pollution in doing something like bringing people along the ground. You don't have to raise them up in the air. It takes less energy. Um, and also, you don't incur all the additional times of, like, security. And, I mean, maybe you would. We don't know what this system looks like. But I think it is less likely that we would have slowdowns like security and like ways to get to the airport because airports need to be so enormous that they block off huge chunks of land. And that means you have to keep them way outside city centers. Um, a train does not have that problem. Now, obviously, we do have trains in America, although they're not a very big deal. But we don't have super fast trains. Like if you want to take a train to get from I live in Cincinnati. If you want to take a train from Cincinnati to Austin, it's probably going to be, I don't know, five days. <laughs> like, you're not going to actually be able to use a train as transport. Now, I don't know a ton about um, what holds up the Hyperloop. I think it's largely financing. But the other major obstacle we have in America is that we're very reluctant to give up real estate. And uh, we do technically have eminent domain, but I think that gets invoked very rarely. I'm not saying it should be invoked more, but we really we should move obstacles out of the way for initiatives like this that could have a huge transformative effect on society. Like you could, you could really revolutionize travel, especially because a lot of people don't want to fly at all. Flying is expensive. You would think that this system would be a lot cheaper. Um, but we are, we are not that close. So I don't know. Are you a fan of, of long distance rapid transport? Uh, I, I am a very big fan. Um, I, I think that like, yeah, for most of these high speed type rail, Hyperloop, frankly, not a train, but 
um, those types of infrastructure, yeah, the startup costs are very large, and I don't know how I would weight that those co- that obstacle relative to the uh, reluctance to give up land. I would s- guess that the financial hurdles are significantly bigger part of the obstacles to this. Did you say it's not a train? But there's also uh, why is it not a train? I, because it doesn't go on rails. It's like a they always compare it to like the mail tubes that shoot your little thing at the bank to the teller. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know what like the formal definition of a train is, but right. for all intents and purposes, I'm pretty sure. Train, I, maybe right? it doesn't involve tracks. Um, could have made that up. Um, but I also think there's the geography of the U.S. to consider. Um, the fact that it's so spread out, and you don't need hyperloops to every single um like major city obviously but like there could be a pretty extensive network between quite a few important cities and even middling important cities and cincinnati to austin might still be a huge huge pain to actually make that trip until the network is very very developed and with a lot of interconnecting branches which would just be an unbelievable investment of money and time not that i'm against it i'm entirely for it but I think this is a case where we're bad at weighing the benefits because it seems expensive because you probably would need a bunch of different city governments and state governments to pitch in. But, you know, the benefits you would get from something like this seem enormous to me. Like airports, I don't know. Anybody who who flies more than a couple times a year has to see that airports are just a disaster. Everything about them is a disaster. It takes you so long to do anything. They're not an efficient way to travel at all. In many cases, if your flight is under two hours... It well, uh, yeah, probably probably under an hour and a half. It could be faster to drive to the location than fly, which is just right. abysmal. That's so bad. No, I mean that's certainly true. Um, I, I think like, and there's so many interconnected problems here. Like the terms of politicians in office, right? Like that if you have a five, four to six year term, like your constituents will only see the costs of the project that's and true. not the benefits. So there's a lot of interrelated problems here i guess uh could you talk a little more about how how robot robots are the solution you see these as automated automated little pods zipping around well i mean what is a robot but mechanics and computers connected together that's true there you go i don't know i don't actually have this this might be like an interesting thing to touch on i don't have any formal definition for a robot i just think of basically anything that's an automated system i was thinking about that too and then i did i this is the kind of thing that if we were good at podcasting, we would have discussed beforehand. But no, that'd now be the listeners, the listeners get the treat of listening to the sausage being made. But I, I also thought that it's something where mechanics are involved. So like artificial intelligence in a strictly, you know, like data analysis, software driven would not qualify. But I don't necessarily have a great uh, basis for picking that. Maybe just it just helps to narrow the definition a little bit. It's funny, I actually listened to a podcast called Robot or Not, which releases episodes that are rarely more than eight minutes long, and the two hosts just argue, well, even argue is strong. They define what a word means that is extremely ambiguous in the English language, so recently milk was tackled. Is almond milk oh, milk? Man. Yeah. Is whole milk milk? Is cream milk? And it I all originated like... with, what's a robot? Interesting. Um, but we digress. I... I feel like we've had the conversation about sports very frequently in our friendship. Which we have fit into that a word with no meaning. Except it would be much more than an eight-minute, eight-minute. Uh, that might be. An we've eight been having the conversation series. for about for about seven years now. So 
True. All right. Well, let's let's move past uh, long distance transport. What's your next one? Well, we're not necessarily moving past long distance transport, but let's talk about taking off and landing planes. So um, I meant to look at statistics. And if I was good at podcasting, I would have looked up statistics, but I didn't. And I'm pretty sure that most uh, aircraft accidents in the U.S. occur during takeoff or landing. I've heard that um, many times, so I believe it. Right. And those are the two most like complicated parts of air travel. And I think like I think it's exceedingly rare that bad weather causes an accident because airplanes can withstand turbulence, and if it's so bad, like they avoid it or you know don't fly at all i think i think bad weather can be involved in takeoff and landing do you mean that's bad true. weather that's, during no. the flight yes yes like when you okay. hit turbulence you know and then yeah. you have to like mm-hmm. buckle your seatbelt or whatever um so takeoffs and landing should be automated like beyond reasonable doubt in my mind and so navy planes have i don't know what percent of the time they use them but they do have the ability that i understand is extremely reliable to land fighter jets on um aircraft carriers like they just establish a electronic link with the carrier and the plane is guided onto the deck and that is an infinitely more complex operation because um, military aircraft for the most part are generally way less stable um than commercial aircraft like computers are required just to keep them flying straight and level which is not the case for most commercial aircraft the an aircraft carries a much smaller target it might be you know pitching and rolling on rough water sometimes it's done at night low visibility all sorts of things so if it can be done in that scenario there's no reason it can't be done um for a commercial plane and the only argument i've heard in the past is like well you want pilots there as a backup maybe some people don't but i think Society does not trust automation enough to not have pilots, and there may be good reasons for that. Um, but how do the pilots maintain proficiency? You know, if they go 200 flights, automated takeoff and landing, and then the one time something goes wrong, they haven't practiced landing a plane in 200 flights. So I do think that's a valid concern. I bet that's something we could figure out. You know, like yeah, I don't training. think it's a valid concern. But, it's a valid concern if they actually got zero practice, I think. Um, I, I mean, think if they got lines... zero practice, it would indicate that the the automation system was extremely robust. But I, I actually... Right, suspect... I, I think airlines could figure a way to work in some practice time, essentially. I actually suspect that if it were as easy to automate on land as it is on aircraft carriers, it would have been done already. Because the you know the motivation for a, an airline carrier is enormous. They would love to automate out pilots. I mean, pilots get paid a lot less than people think, from what I understand, but it's still a huge expense. My guess is that the reason it's more complicated on land is because weather patterns vary more. Because my, my understanding of the difficulty of takeoff and landing is that you don't know what the wind will be like as you begin to ascend, especially in takeoff. I think most 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 flights crash during takeoff. This is the part where we both talk about things we don't know very well. <laughs> and so people people tell us that we have no idea what we're talking about. But my understanding is that a lot of the problems at takeoff are caused by wind not being as you expect. And I think your weather patterns are a lot more variable on land than they are in the ocean. So my well, hypothesis not... is that it's not the same and it's actually more difficult on land. Sorry, continue. I'm not advocating for automating out pilots because 
until we have I think we're I'm not sure that we're technically there where we don't need them, where our systems are reliable enough. And I know in terms of society's perception, we're definitely not there. It's fine. Um, so I, I think pilots should be there as backup, but I don't think, I think their hands should be off the controls during takeoff and landing until that sudden gust of wind comes up that the um, autopilot is not equipped to handle. Interesting. I think that's a lot of complexity. Because the handoff in itself, where the pilot has to jump in, I don't know. I feel like you would actually potentially introduce more danger there by trying to hand it off than just having one system control the whole way. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, we need to have an yeah. actual expert on for me to solidify my opinion. But I am yeah, so all those all those one. airline experts out there um, in our listening base, please chime in. Um, I had one more point. Do I remember what it is? Nope. Nope, I don't. So good. Let's Excellent. go. Let's go to your next topic, Ethan. Sure. Okay, so here's an idea I've been bouncing around a bit. I've spent some time in the last few days finally reorganizing my home office. Um, And it will surprise no one who knows me to learn that I have just an, I don't know, an astonishing volume of electronics that I own. Um, And I include in electronics things like cables and adapters, power cords. Um, I have a lot of things. And... It's quite challenging to keep this level of stuff organized without just throwing everything into a bin. Um, I frequently need... <laughs> Do you consider that being organized? Well, I mean, organized is in, like, not all over my my office floor. Uh, okay. Marginally put away, I guess is what I sh- should say. Um, but I was thinking today about the system I use, which is that I put everything in separate bags or drawers and I label the bag or drawer and say like, this is for uh, network connectors. Uh, This is for USB type adapters. This is for um, power cords and move these into all different places. What happens is I smash a bunch of different bags of different types of things into a drawer. And eventually I have to go through all the drawers to figure out which bag is the one that has the USB cables. Like mentally, I know that there's a bag of just USB cables. And so I know where to look when I need one. But, and and so in general, I'm pretty happy with the system. But the problem is what I need is uh, a robot that retrieves just the bag that I want. Like, I think of this as a little bit like, uh, almost like the Amazon warehouse robots, where it's like, I have categorized things in a sensible way, but I don't want to have to go and find the, the individual item within the category every time. So could you please go get the USB cables bag for me? Now... What I think would be a good solution to this problem is consumer cabinets you can buy with some kind of robot arm in them. Mm. Yeah, so you you have sort of a, a large filing cabinet, but you only have voice access to it, and it has an open top or like a drawer that slides out or something. And the robot arm goes in and grabs the item out of the cabinet that you want. So you, when you first buy the thing, um, input into it in some way exactly what items you're going to store. And then you put an RFID chip on each one of them and it learns which, which item is which, and then it will retrieve the one for you that you need at any time. And you could also get like a bigger one of these to put in a closet or something like that. And I think it would be very handy. Like people that have, um, you know, a bunch of boxes of different types of belongings, or maybe you have boxes of different color socks or something. And you can be like, bring out the box of red socks and the, the arm goes in and finds the RFID chip of the appropriate type of socks and carries out the box. And to me, this actually seems like a thing that a person could build. Like, this doesn't sound extremely challenging. So, thoughts? Shoot me down. Yeah, so I, I'm generally for it. Um, so, one thing 
I like so it took me a while when prepping for this podcast to find a pen. And an issue I have is like I like to put stuff in specific places and if they're not in that specific place I struggle really hard to find them. So like I'm pretty sure if I have a tin can that formerly contained Earl Grey tea bags, which is where I put like pens. And if I'm if they're not there if there's a pen like next to it, I might be staring at the tin and being like, where the hell are my pens? And it'll be right next to it. But just because I'm very focused on this is the spot. And I say that it's like, this system is only as effective as you putting it in the right spot. Unless I guess, um, you have the robot arm also replace it in the correct. I think that's what you'd want. You'd want to say like, bring out the box of red socks and then you put your socks back in. Right. Right. Okay, okay, so solve that problem, just innovation on the fly. And I think a simpler implementation, um, because robot arms, like I said, there's the dexterity challenge that I think would add a decent amount to cost for, you know, your average organizer of stuff, is you just have a cabinet with, like, shelves on almost like a carousel. And so, oh, yeah. So you have, like, bring me the shelf of red socks, and it just, there's one opening to the cabinet, that you use for daily access and it moves that shelf to that opening um instead of actually plucking anything Ooh. out for you it just narrows your search area to you know a 12 that inch by 12 is innovative. inch shelf yes. or whatever yeah you could have like a belt um, that just rotates around the, the shelf of this pod until you know we patent take off autopilot <laughs> and such i love this idea though right you could have shelves move around internally on a wheel except you like smash the wheel so it fits in a cabinet and just shelves that go up and down. Button. Hmm. Might be might be building one of these. Better better quit my job and just start a business building <laughs> these cabinets. Sounds promising. Yeah, that does sound promising. Well, you know who might hire you, which would be your dream? Uh Elon Musk. IKEA. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> the uh I would be very happy for you if if that was the case. Yeah. Um, but overall very, very on board this idea with on board with this idea (laughs) i don't know i uh yeah i was thinking about it quite a bit as i did some organization earlier today it would be super helpful i just also think that organization is a task that that some people say that they hate you know they hate cleaning up their apartment or whatever and with things like that what you really need to do is remove the friction and the friction of organization is like the the physical process of moving the things to where they go like if you just right. mentally had to categorize things and be like i want these things put in this place it wouldn't be that bad right. um and i find that i don't like putting away the 13 extra pens on my desk and like you know all the extra cables that i used in the last week because i have to go dig through my cabinet and figure out where all the bags are where these things belong the one thing I, one thing that i do think could be added or would be a concern is with anything motorized like things will break and i think if it's something that's beyond the user level to fix it will make these things a lot less desirable and maybe the rate of you know mishaps not mishaps but like malfunctions is so low it's not a big deal but if it's the kind of thing where it requires a technician to come in like even if that happens once a month that's Overall, probably saves you time, but it can be perceived as a pretty big pain in the butt. Yeah. So I think you'd want a combination of design it so that the stuff that tends to break could be fixed by someone with, you know, some basic skills and an instruction manual. 
Or if we go with the idea of, of shelves that rotate around. So like what I'm picturing is you only have one opening for uh, your cabinet. Right. You know, a door that, that swings open and you see one shelf. But that shelf moves around on a wheel. So different shelves are always available. Mm-hmm. So what essentially what I'm inventing is a lazy Susan, yes. but vertically. Yes, that's exactly what um, I have in my mind. Yeah, but but on a belt. So it's like it's more of like an oval than a than a circle. But you could just use a hand crank. We've, we have de-automated this task. <laughs> <laughs> Things we don't need robots for. Mechanical cabinets. Well, so... And then you just see, like, the little label, basically, of, like... Well, you could even leave the, the door open and just scroll through your... Right. Your um, items, right? Yeah, I think the danger of that is when we talk about the how important it is to replace it in the right spot. Because, like, I can see... Then you have to, like, instead of being, like, bring me the red sock drawer or you wait for it to show up and then throw it back in. You might be really lazy and be like, oh, I'll just remember that just this one time I'm putting it in my um, scarf that's drawer. and Because that's what happens with regular organization, right? And then over time, like, true. you've got red socks in your scarves and scarves in your stuffed dinosaur. So maybe, or, yeah, because you're too lazy to turn the crank yeah. the whole way. So maybe the solution is you also have to go to the gym more mm. and use a crank. Yeah. But then it's not as much effort, so it's much easier to return the socks to the right place. That That is a good idea. Livy just walked in, so I'm just going to fill him in that we're talking about an automated shelf sorting system that also functions as a bicep workout. Very functional. <laughs> well, I would say bicep tries. Oh, yeah, full circle. That's true. Uh, excellent. Well, we've, we've definitely solved one problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will move on to the next problem that I'd like to solve, and... That is how labor-intensive, and in my opinion, some may disagree, annoying yard work is. And I'm thinking specifically here of mowing the lawn and raking leaves. And this is coming from someone who enjoys being outdoors in somewhat decent weather. So I think it would not be terribly hard to have a robot to mow the lawn for you. You know, just tell it what, what height you want the grass to be cut and i already think this is extremely dangerous <laughs> but, well no okay. you just need some basic sensors so that there's any sort of like moving object you around it oh i don't know it i think i think a roomba with spinning sharp blades sounds sounds quite dangerous but you can okay, totally continue. design this to be safe so like yeah you have a roomba with spinning sharp blades but let's say the area let's say the blade is you know 12 inches wide or whatever you can make the roomba 24 inches wide so it's not like the blades are protruding out of the edge of the the robot um maybe and then and, know, and it'll have sensors and stuff so it'll know what's going on can tell grass apart <laughs> from flowers that's like that's like the classic artificial intelligence story it's like well you know it, it has sensors like it has a camera so of course it knows everything that's going on you're not don't say these kinds of things you're discouraging people from supporting self-driving cars is the you're thing right, that man. we really need for the record. Yeah, true. Um, true. Self-driving cars with giant spinning blades <laughs> is what we really need. Yeah, basically Transformers. So, yeah, I think just think about how many... And it's not necessarily a ton individually, but how many man hours America as a whole and woman hours spend on, like, mowing the lawn. And it's just not a great task. And child hours. A lot of teenager hours. A lot of teenager hours. hours. Um, yeah. and then That's true. No, it's the, a terrible task. The same principle goes for raking leaves and then... It could also, you know, pick up and bag the leaves, drop the bag off, get another bag, and continue doing that. Because 
Maybe you would mandate that you return the gra- the grass clippings to your yard instead of throwing them in the trash, which is insane. That's true. That would be good. We should only sell a product or that, take it to the municipal com- compost plant. Yeah, but it's bad for your yard, right? Like that's not a sustainable long term system. What? George Washington Carver would lose his wait, mind. Wait, whoa. What are you talking about? I'm mowing it. If you if you dispose of your uh, your grass clippings instead of leaving them on your lawn, right? I mean, lawns are, in- are just like crazy inefficient in general i know they're bad in lots of ways but i would think that you know over 20 years or something you're going to suck so many nutrients out of your your soil that there's no way that can continue yeah that's why you sell the house at 18 years and it's not your problem oh very good point yes um so that's not super yeah okay no to... i'm on board with that i think there's some there's some challenges for sure but yes yard work is yeah, yard work is a terrible task. I mowed quite a few lawns in my day, and maybe uh, that's what turned you off on the hills? outdoors so much. No, all the outdoors. I every every experience I had with the outdoors was bad. That's how I knew I hated the outdoors. <laughs> also, I'd um, like to point out that these robots are solar powered because when you think about it, sunlight that falls on something that doesn't generate energy is kind of like a waste of resource. I mean, either it's heating something up if that's something you want at that time of year. Or it's going to waste. So true. Um, Plan a money episode on that. Most recent episode, oh, actually. Well, there you go. I'll have to come back. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm on board. I think there's challenges because even humans have trouble with the dexterity to most certain lines. So what I mentioned before was was uh, living on a hill. So where I spent a lot of my formative years, um, I was living in a house that had a split yard. So we lived on a hill. And the yard was divided in two. There was like an upper yard and a lower yard separated by a wall and a garden. Um, In mowing, parts of the yard that were right next to the hill, of which, of course, were tilted, was just miserable. And I I think that that's quite the dexterity challenge, worse than the robot arms. Because not only do you need flexibility, but you also need a lot of strength. Because most lawnmowers are fairly heavy. Now, maybe our future Roomba mower is pretty light and has a low center of gravity, so that's less of an issue. But I can see the I can see the issues. With yeah, that. I, I envision this being, um, and I'll let the mechanical engineers actually figure this out. But I envision this being like quite small, like almost like much more Roomba sized than than lawnmower sized, traditional lawnmower sized, uh, so that like it wouldn't it would be pushing less weight and it wouldn't be there wouldn't be so much of a height disparity from one edge of the blade to the other edge and. You also got to think that, at least comparing it to riding mowers, you're not carrying around a like hundred to two hundred pound person. True. With True. your given amount of horsepower. That this might be a thing that we could fundamentally reinvent. Like a lot of the form factor of lawnmowers is dictated by the fact that right. Human needs I to think push the starting point is a Roomba, um, rather than a, than a traditional mower. Maybe it might even be more like a remote control car. Hmm. I'm just thinking out loud now. Like, what if you had a, well, this sounds like a terrible idea, but what if you had, like, an RC car with a razor blade on the front? <laughs> Such a bad idea. <laughs> and then your your kids play with it. Your, kid, your kids just play with cars, remote control cars, and run them around the yard. And while they're they're running around the car, yard, they're also so cutting all your grass. that would be my dream as a kid. There used to be a, we are really going on tangent here, but there used to be a show on one of those, like, Discovery or Science Channel type things. Back before they all started talking about aliens exclusively, 
that it was robot wars where people would build robots and fight them. Oh, yeah, I've heard Yeah, of and it was so great. Like, you just get to watch people. And they were, like, RC robots, I think. I don't think they were autonomous. And super fun. I remember having a robot-controlled helicopter that basically had one control. It was, like, spin the blades or, or you let go and it doesn't spin the blades and it comes down. And now people fly these crazy, like, quadcopter drones. If I... I derive so much enjoyment from those helicopters that if I quit my job and started flying drones full-time, I'd be really happy wow. until I ran out of money. Do you think RC Cola is made by the same makers as RC Cars? You think it's like remote control cola? I don't know what RC Cola is. <laughs> it's it's off-brand, like Pepsi Coke. Mm. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it was originally meant to be remote controlled. Early automation Almost certainly soda. Um, or whatever. I'm pretty sure RC is also like an electric circuit resistance capacitance circuit yeah oh you were awake in physics too okay uh, i see took it over the summer yeah um okay was that that was yours so we're back that to was me. so this is very much in the same vein but but cleaning one's house um we've talked a lot about roombas roombas woefully inadequate my roommate has purchased a roomba what and oh it's just so <laughs> annoying it's it's more trouble to use a Roomba than to use a regular vacuum cleaner. Unless you live in a in an apartment that is just nothing but carpeting, has no furniture, and has no stairs. Um, so we have to put up, like, ropes around things. I say we, but I never participate in this activity because <laughs> I think it's a waste of time. But ropes need to be put up in certain areas to tell the dumb Roomba not to fall down the stairs and things like that. And not to, like, run into the cords because it will suck up the cords and get stuck and things like that. Um. What are you doing, technology? Like, Roombas are also really expensive. This should be an easy, easy, easy problem. Vacuum cleaners are not expensive. Um, remote control vacuum cleaners are not expensive. The automation is a it's a fixed cost, right? Like, you, you only pay for the research and development once. It shouldn't make every individual product expensive. And we've already mostly solved the problem of where to go. But we can't solve all like the little problems. I guess this is the story of artificial intelligence, where it's like the fringe details are what get us every time. But I like I don't know. Roomba Roombas are just not proving to be very effective, especially when you've just moved into an apartment, so junk is still sitting everywhere. You haven't organized things yet. The Roomba can't do anything because it just runs into piles of things everywhere instead of like going around them and building a mental model of the house, which is what you would want. Um, is is it actually a Roomba brand? vacuum or are you using that as a catch-all for autonomous vacuum cleaners i think it is roomba brand it's a fairly expensive well-reviewed one because i'm wondering i don't know if i didn't buy roomba it. has some sort of like patent or intellectual property rights that gives them a bit of a monopoly for the moment and that is preventing them from preventing the incentive for getting better yeah, to be there I, I don't know maybe Planet to be Money fair i have uh I've not looked into it in great detail, but I am not even finished with this topic because Roomba does not solve the fundamental problem of cleaning. Like I cannot speak for others, but I don't mind vacuuming nearly as much as I mind things like cleaning the sink or dusting all my cabinets, um, dusting the baseboards, uh, all the things that make cleaning unpleasant, cleaning the windows. These things are much worse. Mopping the kitchen floor. None of these things. I would mop over vacuum any day. All the other I ones you said, I agree, are terrible. What world you're but, living in? What? Um, oh, mop the kitchen. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter. All of these things are not fun, and they comprise more work than vacuuming. 
why can't we fix these things? I just want a general purpose cleaning bot. It needs to have like a rag and a vacuum. And optionally, it can get the wag the rag wet in order to wipe things down. And you've, you know, you've solved the whole problem. I don't know. I just, cleaning is such an unpleasant thing. And it is not a cheap thing to have someone else do. So like I've looked into how much would it cost for me to pay someone to clean my apartment? Quite a lot of money. <laughs> it is not cheap. Uh, because everyone hates it. Because it's terrible. It doesn't even take that long. It's just terrible. So, yeah, we we need robots to do this. There's too many things. What I would love to see is a robot that could perturb the dust on your surfaces, and then and while perturbing the dust, fly in and suck it up. Ooh, that that is pretty good. Maybe that robot could have sharp blades on it. Also, cut your lawn. But uh, no, perturb the dust and then vacuum at the same time in order to actually get rid of the dust because. You know, dusting is largely useless unless you vacuum, and vacuuming without having dusted doesn't help with your furniture. So, you know, solve this problem. I don't care. I just don't like it. Oh, man. I This is really the appeal of the Quick Hits format, getting Ethan riled up about things. Um, Cleaning is the worst, though. Ugh. Better or worse than cake donuts? Uh, cake donuts are worse than anything <laughs> in the world, obviously. Um, With that hot take... I don't really have too much more on the topic of robots for the moment. Do you have any? any yeah. Well, Actually, that's not true. I do. I... I do have many thoughts on robots, <laughs> but that seems like a I good way to more... wrap things up, but we'll keep going. <laughs> no, I have one more topic that's just a throw in because it's so obvious. But like, if I come to your retail establishment and I have to talk to a human at any point, you have failed me. Uh, it's just, what are you doing? I There's no reason in any store in America there are humans that I have to talk to. It's fine if you would like to opt to talk to a human, but the whole thing where I have to talk to one is terrible. Um, this is at its worst in grocery stores where they have to check your ID to buy alcohol. Just this is like a case where artificial intelligence would be great. We have this problem solved. Compare my face to the face on the the ID. And then make sure the ID is a valid ID. And then let me buy the alcohol. You don't need a human there. Like, I'm sure this is a legal restriction. but It's probably so much more, things... like, less likely to be fooled by fakes as well. Yeah. Well, and you're probably more likely to know if the person is the same one as in the picture. Right. Because humans, you know, you see somebody with long hair in their photo. You don't know if it's the same one. Right. But computers actually are good at matching faces. Um, And I just think about this all the time. Grocery shopping, buying a cup of coffee going to a fast food restaurant like in none of these situations does a human add anything to the experience over over a robot and the worst of them and i i think that this has come up before in quick hits but actual restaurants ah i hate everything about them everything about actual restaurants is terrible except that they give you food (laughs) every part of the experience is horrendous and you have to tip them for it it's just ah it is the worst possible experience in almost always Everything should be automated in actual restaurants. I mean, you can cook the food with humans or something, but I do sure? not want to have to. I feel like that's as that unnecessary. Is, like the contamination of, you know, just having had a human in the area, the food might start talking to you. How terrible Yeah, this is be? not the problem, though. The problem is that the whole experience is engineered, so you have to talk to the human as many times as possible, so you feel more obligated to give them money. Where, like, just leave the water on my table, leave, I don't know, a pitcher so, of soda on the table, leave some bread on the table. It is... Um, it is interesting that I, I do not have the same extreme of, like, dislike of human interactions at stores as Ethan does. Although I do totally agree that, like, all checkout should be self-checkout at the grocery. Um, it's a delight. But I do think this is not particularly related to automation. But uh, 
in Zach Lowe's interview with Joe Ingles, who is an Australian basketball player who plays in the NBA now, he I remember Zach asking like, "What is one of the biggest adjustments you had to make while moving to the U.S.?" Did you do you recall this conversation, Ethan? I listened to the podcast, but I don't recall. Yeah, that. and he said in the U.S., like waiters every two minutes, it's like is everything good here. Like you guys, doing oh all right? yeah. And like I said, I don't generally mind human interaction while buying and consuming food but it is kind of excessive sometimes and i am interested how i think there's a good chance that that like culture of tipping which is not necessarily the case in other countries is a big part of that even though i would say maybe the majority of people probably wouldn't mind a little less checking up on you once your meal has actually arrived yeah but it's not I mean, that's true. Like, I would probably prefer slightly fewer check-ins, but I don't really feel strongly about that. The problem is that they make the experience deliberately worse because it forces you to interact with humans more. Like, I shouldn't have to ask someone for my check. The check should be there. There should be an iPad on the table that has my check for me to pay any time. You should time. just go to Like, all time. of these things... You should go to Chili's every time. Um, of course. Uh, that's where they have the Dundies, so... <laughs> um, <laughs> But, yeah, and there's just a bunch of things like that. Like, when I'm ready for dessert, why do I have to wait for you to come over? There should be an iPad. It it just makes the experience worse because I have to interact with a human, and there's no reason to do it except that it forces me to tip them. I like, will say is, I don't it think. It is artificially worse. May, and you, you may be – you will probably argue and maybe write that people only like it because they've been, you know, culturally conditioned. But some people do enjoy, like, that atmosphere. And some people enjoy the feeling of being waited on um i'm sure yeah but they don't go to the same restaurants as me and i don't want them to <laughs> please there you go please stay away from chilies oh <laughs> uh, i think some of All our right, listeners that, have some I'm finished. hot takes on chili's customer service so listeners hit us up on the twitter what's the twitter handle ethan uh at syntax project um check out our website at www.syntechproject.com and hit us up on our Instagram at uh, we don't have an Instagram oh alright um, and Apollo... our names are <laughs> I'm Fernando and I'm Ethan and I apologize to the listeners um, who were looking forward to Matt making fun of Ethan at every turn please <laughs> voice on social media your desire for Matt to make an appearance soon because we all stay want tuned that. stay tuned okay this all is right. a good one fernando signing off mm-hmm.